0: okay we're live hello and welcome to doubt society podcast episode number six featuring uh none other than james bergman so we have a reappearance of james he was uh kind enough to hop back on here actually uh really last minute we decided to to um host this podcast (laughs) uh (laughs) just like five minutes ago just said hey uh it's april 13th 2022 which is the uh hitch's birthday um and he would have been 73 today, and we thought, well, uh, I think we have to do a uh, a Hitch Equinox podcast.
1: Yeah, no, we, we, we got into some um, atavisms of Hitch and, you know, our, some moments like when he was... I was saying his greatest enemy was his mic, his microphone, because... Uh, yeah, with, with Turek, like, you know, he ploughed through Frank Turek's arguments, just rhetorically dismantled them, and then, like, his microphone would just, like, fall off, <laughs> and, it, and that, would, that would be, like, the greatest challenge for Hitch that night, um, so, yeah, I, I was literally in bed, um, and, uh, yeah, I was just, like, me and Riley were just, you know, talking about Hitch, like he was saying, and I was, I was just, like, I can't turn down this opportunity to, to, you know, talk about the hitch with a fellow a fellow hitch slapper uh,
0: yeah. yes yeah absolutely well thanks for coming on and cheers cheers by the way uh for those cheers, of those man. who aren't listening to uh or aren't watching the the visual uh yeah. obviously the necessary glasses of uh johnny walker black oh and i should i should probably do it right let me reach around my mic so as as hitch would Actually, I do believe officially two parts Johnny Walker, two parts Perrier. Mm-hmm. So I will indulge. I will indulge the, on the specific cocktail and <laughs> uh, add a little Perrier to that to that drink there.
1: Gotta get I don't... more more of it. Gotta get it. Mixed yes. Yeah. Now that
0: now the quantity is 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 larger. Yeah.
1: Breakfast of um, champions.
0: Except no substitutes. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Precisely. Yep.
0: Yeah, but the mic—the mic thing was true. I mean, I can't believe how many different videos there are of Hitch, where he's just been given a sound guy that I don't know. He's or maybe he's maybe it's Hitch. Maybe he brings around that he carries that curse of uh, of bad audio or just unfortunate audio
1: mechanics wherever he goes. Yeah, I mean, religious zealots would probably say that it's it's God interfering and trying to you know make make his blasphemy um less less apparent and and extinguished but i must say for an omnipotent entity it's quite a disappointing attempt uh, from such a being yeah yeah Yeah,
0: unfortunately his voice was one that uh, carried quite well um so often he would you know dispose of the the microphone in some way and be like I don't need the fucking thing. (laughs) And then he would go on, on
1: just, you know, more or less just... uh, It wasn't even shouting. His just natural voice had such a carry to it. Yeah, just Um, enough... The the tone was enough to just shake the wall uh, of the room. Yeah. and Astonish the listeners, of course. Um, Of course. What what are your favourite moments of the hitch? Um, Any memorable points where you just love rewatching, or, or you know in his books maybe or just what are your most memorable parts about him oh man when he was on
0: TV one time and it was uh, I think it was when Falwell died was it Farwell or was it I think it was when Farwell died and he said um, if you had given the man an enema what's left would have fit inside of a matchbox (laughs) (laughs) wow
1: and i think
0: i think i about fell out of my chair the first time i heard that (laughs) i mean just obviously inference being that he's so full of shit that if you if you got that out of there all that could be left you could i think he said actually bury him in a matchbox and the man had just died i mean the the
1: day of or the day before (laughs)
0: And I thought, oh
1: my goodness! <laughs> I mean, so never... family members weren't avidly watching.
0: Yeah, yeah. no, I, they were probably hopefully day of they're not not on Fox News or whatever it was. Yeah. That, see, that was back when you know you could get on a opposing news network. Like you could, act, there was actually a uh, liberals would pop on Fox, you know, and uh, non liberals would show up on uh, uh, CNN or whatnot. For for those who are American listeners, obviously it's going to be different. Different stations over, over across the pond. Yeah, we, where we it is? What time?
1: 11. Oh, it's well. At the moment, it's uh, eleven
0: p.m. It's eleven. Oh yeah, because I was giving you a hard time because I thought it was. <laughs> so it's a yeah, yeah. It's, yeah is it a... is a four-hour difference. It's a four-hour four difference. Hours. I just can't. Yeah, okay. I
1: just can't add. I think. Yeah, I messaged you and I counted. And I, I skipped. Hey, look. Or I'm, I left. Hey, look. I can't add either, man. I'm. You know. You know. Hitch said give me anything to do, to write about, but sports, it, that's the same with me, but also uh, maths, just don't give me any maths, so I'm, I'm, I'm not there, man, I'm I'm abysmal. <laughs> yeah, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the same way, I do
0: like sports, I do like sports, as, as we've, we've discussed, but yeah. I cannot, uh, I, I can do math, but I don't enjoy doing <laughs> math, you know, I would rather
1: read virtually anything, like the densest philosophy you could find, um, sure before uh stealing from god oh wait no that would be too too strenuous i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah before doing uh any sort of uh math uh yeah that's this now. i mean uh, i i think I, I do like uh some sports but it's kind of difficult talking about sports with people because like the the sort of sports that i like isn't really ordinary like i Maybe I'm just supposed to be living in the 18th century, but I I love like sword fighting, fencing, that sort of thing. Uh, I just think that's really cool. I love role playing as like a pirate or something. It's, I don't know, there's just something really cool about like swords and like slashing. I don't know. Call me, call me Jack the Ripper if you want. Okay. Just, just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm going there. Um, but, and, and there's also free running and parkour that I used to do quite a bit for a few years and, uh, and, yeah, I mean, I guess I do like sports, but only when it's in context to my niche interests. <laughs> sure, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I was watching some fencing not too long ago on uh, when the Olympics were going on. Uh-huh. And it was, oh man, it's was, it was wild. I can't imagine having lived in what would have been the 16th century, right, I think, uh, when you would be carrying around a rapier at your side, right, and yeah. somebody says the word the wrong way and you are now brought to a duel and it's with those little tiny oh no
1: it's very it, you get a lot of that from like the if you read shakespeare i, th- I think you probably have better chances from a russian duel um like illustrated in Dostoevsky's novels like demons and the idiot um because it's it's with pistols anyway but with the with the Dostoevsky example but because it's kind of luck of the draw really um, although you do feel like you're playing Eastwards, so I, I never let that pass. Um, I, I quite like westerns as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I'd be a lot better off with a pistol than I would be with a sword. <laughs> hey, look, you, you're an American. i would seen yeah. your blood, man. <laughs> <laughs> it you is just, You just can't get over guns, like <laughs> no, yeah, no. I,
0: I don't, I don't know. That didn't stop Hitch from coming over here and you know, and becoming a citizen. But no, we like our we like our guns and i i come from one of those those family backgrounds mm-hmm. where i mean i was a, shot my first gun when i was a little kid
1: yeah so i well i, I do you know i am interested in guns in all fairness I, I i would probably love to have some if i could um i mean i have an air rifle if that counts for anything yeah um and, and and that's really fun and i love being you know it's a sniper sort of rifle um and i love that it's really fun um i definitely would I would have a few guns. I expect um, if I lived in America. I, I just, I just love the aesthetic. I love. I, I'm. I also like the history of some guns um, from World War II. I, I love. Yeah. I love uh, the Musenagats, if that's how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the uh, well, the carbines are classic. Um, uh, the Car 98. I, I quite like that one, an American one. Um, I mean, I. I am wondering, though, I have never heard Hitchens say anything about guns, to be honest. Uh, you know, I don't
0: know if he ever made a... I don't know if he ever made a long comment on that. He, I'm sure he probably did. I, I, I turned mm-hmm. around there and looked up because I have the quotable Hitchens sitting above me on the yeah, shelf back there. One, and actually. Mm-hmm. I was almost tempted to to turn to that page and see if he... uh. See if he had anything, you know. I'll, I'll grab it. Actually. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Weasel my way out of my my spot here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not going. It's not going well.
1: <laughs> I, uh, this is a very informal oh, yeah, podcast. I, it's the same. It's the same um, size as the portable atheist, which was really appealing to me. Um, I really want to get that. I flicked through it in a um, in like a, a not a library, but like a bookstore or or a bookshop. If I'm going to be honest to my heritage um but I I do want to get the quotes for Hitchens uh it looks good it's wonderful because um
0: sometimes if I'm writing and I'm looking for uh quotations about a certain thing and I know Hitchens referred to and I can't remember where it was from but I can like think of the quote oftentimes I can find it in here if I go to the topic and then I know where exactly it was and I can find the speech or the or the you know the piece um and where it was published and actually find the original bit um, yes, he does. He has four entries for guns. Uh, wow. should I read a couple? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so let's see. The first one is I have gradually come to think that there is something truly admirable in a country that codifies the responsibility for self-defense pity. It doesn't make use uh pity. It doesn't make use of it. That was, uh, in the nation minority report, uh, in January of 94, a month before 94. I was born.
1: Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I, think, so that's... I think there's a certain truth to that. I mean, without it being practically applied in in a consistent and useful way, um, like anything, it is it's bound to fail. Um, bound to be uh, a flop of of a theory. Let's say. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 very true. Um...
0: Yeah, I don't I wish I, I don't know the exact content or the context to what what he he's referring to, especially about making use of it. Um but it's it's wild. I mean in terms of the use of it of folks in general, through COVID, the number of people who bought guns or registered gun owners mm-hmm. went through the roof in the United States. Um it was uh there were numerous, numerous articles published about that. Um which is um somewhat scary to think about. Um, cause folks tend to, tend to buy them and then they just sit and they don't go and practice and learn how to use them properly and yeah. run through the, run through the gamut with it. But yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, it's everywhere. Absolutely. Um, let's see what the, let's see what a second one is here. Let's see here. If you take the second amendment as a whole, which the National Rifle Association, the political conservatives generally do not. It can be understood as enshrining the right, if not indeed the duty, of citizens to defend their country and themselves from aggression, including aggression from the government. The time might come when the people might have to muster against the state. Well, what's wrong with that?
1: (laughs) And when when was that?
0: That was Minority Report again. Uh, Oh, that's from the same entry. Actually, it looks like three of the four entries are all from that same article um, oh, okay the, the, so he has one... yeah
1: okay okay that so must lost... be
0: his his yeah yeah his primary piece on it yeah. The, yeah that's the last one from that section is short and it says of course guns kill people that's why the people should take control of the guns <laughs> so very yeah very interesting uh he was he was funny like that though wasn't he in that and this is why one of the many reasons I admired him, but that if you suggested an issue, so in this case a gun controller or even just firearms and uh, you know a population of folks in a state owning firearms, um, and you asked him about it, you weren't you weren't sure what you would get. you know, I think he was so original in that way, or if you yeah. asked him about abortion or about this,, yeah. and you saw you know who, where he was writing and what he was writing about. Uh, you weren't really sure what you were going to get when it came to Hitch. He, he'd kind of had his own opinion really about everything.
1: Yeah, and I, I think I think that's something to aspire to, uh, but it, but it's also something very difficult because the problem with I guess striving to have an opinion on everything is having an opinion every, on everything, but the expense of that is it being a low resolution opinion on everything. And I guess that's the hardest thing to achieve, which is to have a high-resolution opinion on everything. I mean, I, that is, that is near impossible, maybe impossible, because there has to be some sort of, you know, you have to really, really tunnel in on, on what you want to specialize in. Um, and I guess Hitch did it in his own way, but yeah. But I, I think, I think the way that you say something sometimes carries more weight than what you say, um, especially when you're live on air uh, or in a debate. I mean, to be honest with you, like as much as I love debates, it is mostly... I mean, I, I don't know. I kind of think this half, but I also don't. But it's kind of this intellectual exercise that is not always for the greater good of the audience, but just a circle jerk, basically, for, for yeah. themselves. And I think the Hitch was was not exempt from that, probably. But I think n- none of us are, in some regards. Like you know, there's nothing wrong with nourishing and, and, and absorbing in our own um the positives of our of our of our being, I guess, of, of what we're passionate about, and and expressing that in a way that we feel happy and you know I think I think there comes a point where it becomes arrogant and it might become um overdone but the the fact that Hitch you know Hitch might say something that is completely ridiculous but because his rhetoric was so strong it wouldn't seem ridiculous. It would seem like the most convincing thing you've ever heard in your entire life. (laughs) You know and 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 just just on a technical level I respect that. not not the fact that somebody in itself they might say something false but it's actually and this is what a lot of people don't get about hitchens they say oh well what he said might not be true but i'm like okay fair enough but don't you think how he said it and and his rhetoric and how he composed himself was admirable and they say they slither around and say oh well i don't know it's like you have to give the devil his due like and, 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 you know, a lot of people do, like Rabbi uh, Wolpe, uh, Wolf, um, you know, Turek. Um, these guys do understand that Hitchens was admirable in his own way. Um, and I think anybody denying that is clearly resentful and bitter like George Galloway. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's sort of the
0: difficulty, isn't it, in being a generalist or in being, in being someone that is paid to speak on a variety of issues um right and I, I think that touches on an important cultural point that we're seeing right now um uh, certain examples i'll stray away from but in, in that no one can have an opinion on anything unless they have a phd yeah. or are like officially a representative of that field of science or that field of whatever it is which i think is uh, incredibly absurd um based on just my my first uh, line of reasoning in that is you can have a PhD in economics and many, many do. And there are folks who have those and are strict capitalists and those who have them that are, you know, socialists. Um, so, so why is it that a, you know, obviously it's just an appeal to authority, um, Mm -hmm. and in that case, um, but that's kind of the struggle of being a generalist is that you are paid to speak or like to speak, um, on a wide variety of issues. But, um, like you said, I think Hitch not only, Sometimes he wouldn't have like what you said, like a a high resolution opinion, but he at least had like a feeling like he had thought about it. And it was just admirable to see someone speak who didn't simply just, uh, you know, uh, you could just check off on the list. Like uh, so many people I feel like you see are just uh, if they're liberal, then you know exactly what they're going to say. Like you may have friends on your Facebook feed or friends here and you just know what their issue, like they're going to be against this, against that. They're just perfectly in the party line. Right. And those Mm. Republicans are the same way perfectly on the party line um and like you said you don't need a deep well thought out of formulated opinion but just like what's your general take on it in terms of just you know surely you've thought about it just a little bit like i do believe somewhere uh, hitch wrote of abortion that it just made him terribly uncomfortable or so- something like that i'm sure someone will correct me um but to tell you this feeling about anytime he thought about it it was just like this uncomfortable sort of feeling around it um which is not of course the left-wing line on abortion um and uh to speak frankly it's probably where i i fall on it i'm just like i, I you know something where it makes me quite uncomfortable to think about having to do or, or take upon myself or just what, how much it happens all the time mm. um maybe that's my evangelical casting and that in my background coming out right um but uh yeah is that something that you see just like in his take on different things he just uh it's just refreshing
1: yeah i mean jack of all trades master of none as as the saying goes but you know i i think i think what you said is true like i i've come across many people who i don't know might be an academic or they might be you know they, they, they might i mean richard wolf for example when he said about somebody who's studying uh, economics like richard wolf is a, is a famous uh, marxist i believe or maybe a socialist i can't remember i think he's a marxist um and he's got it and, and he's got a you know a PhD and all that in, in this sort of subject, and so clearly, he thinks he's right in what he's saying, and and clearly, what matters, is the interpretation of the facts, not the facts themselves. You know, because I was very misled, for example, about the Black Lives Matter movement. I was like immediately, I was like, okay, well, what are the statistics? And I looked at the statistics, and it showed, that, well, from from what it like blankly said, basically said that black people commit more crime, therefore they are the problem. And I was like, okay. And I took that at face value for a bit. And then I thought there's something up there, that there's something, sorry, wrong there and something off. And then I looked into the context, the context of why black people might commit more crime. And then I realized it isn't the facts that matter. It's it's not necessarily the facts, but it's how you look at the context behind those facts you know the the cause and effect what why what brings people to crime what motivations do people have to commit crime but why 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 am i not committing crimes you know and and all of this can be explained in economical and and psychological um uh, political ways and so it's really the context behind the facts that is most important, not actually the facts themselves. And and when Ben Shapiro is like, "Facts beat feelings," it's like, okay, but feelings give you context for those facts. And if you just spurt that constantly, you're not actually going to give, you're not actually going to give credit where it might be due, you know? Because in feelings, there's intuition, and with intuition, there's often a version of truth. And so if we push intuition away, then the version of truth is being subdued you know it's 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 not good context is no, important it's... and different forms of information are important and you know it's it's easy to hand wave it away but we shouldn't i don't think no you it's 100 percent true yeah the
0: in the black lives matter movement that is a whole the narrative around that has been the facts have been i mean that's just a mess it's an, it's an absolute,
1: I mean, absolute mess. Ma, I mean, Martin Luther King even said that, um, do I believe, I'm paraphrasing, but do I believe in, in, in riots? No. But do I think that people come to a certain point in their struggle, that they have to commit something atrocious and destructive to prove a point and to get people to listen? Yeah, I think there comes a point when people have to do that. And so even he said he doesn't believe in that but the reason why people are doing it is quite frankly because they're on the edge you know so even we have him um kind of uh, giving his own as a text on that yeah yeah and that all plays that all ties right into
0: to just the whole i mean the emergence of identity politics as as a whole um and that whole that whole manner of things and uh I do believe there's a wonderful quote in here, actually, as well, which isn't far from where we're already at, um, about identity politics that Hitch, Hitch once brought up. And uh, I think he saw this this coming um, from the distance. You know, mm-hmm. he, he passed in 2011. Um, but you could see, in much of what he was saying, you could see this beginning. Um, and I think it's been going on even since the 90s. Um, when you read some of the books, um, I just finished not too terribly long ago, um, uh, Douglas's Murray's um, most recent book, which is
1: Let's see if I can locate it. It's not The Madness of Crowds, I yes, think. That's yes, the Madness one. of Crowds. Oh, is it? Yeah, okay. it's The Madness of Crowds, okay. yeah, where he,
0: he discusses the, I couldn't remember the title of it, it was escaping me for a moment there. I was just, I could only think of the subtitle. Um, and that was brilliant. He sort of traces the history, um, And you can definitely see it arising in the '90s. Uh, In fact, there's another book I have um, behind me as well that talks about it from the '90s, which is uh, "In Defense in Defense of Elitism." That was a very interesting book um, that was written in the '90s. um, That kind of saw some of this coming. Um, The the author died shortly after he published it. In fact, it might have been published after he passed away, but it had been he had finished the book. Mm -hmm. Um, I just thought a book entitled "In Defense of Elitism" had to be had to be worth the read and so uh, i i had to i had to give that a, a perusal um but uh let's just do a little selection here of uh, of identity politics from a hitch so uh identity politics are a drag aren't they forcing people to think with their genitalia or their epidermis that's a that's a good one um or how about people who think with their epidermis or their genitalia or their clan are the problem to begin with? One does not banish this specter by invoking it. If I would not vote against someone on the grounds of race or gender alone, then by the exact same token, I would not cast a vote in his or her favor for the identical reason. And that's from The Perils of Identity Politics, Wall Street
1: Journal, 2008. That second one. <laughs> wow. Wow. I think oh, I think I remember I think I remember one actually, um, which I'll need to get on my Crystal Hitchens quote list. Um Do you have one? Do you have one saved? I I'll show you.
0: Oh my lord. Yeah. So for those who are just listening, uh James yeah. is on his six or seventh swipe through the list of list <laughs> of quotes here. <laughs> that's um, quite that's quite considerable.
1: Um what actually talking about um before I get to that talking about one of my you know, one of our sort of favourite moments. Um one of my favourite quotes from him is the following Donald Trump, ludicrous figure, but at least he's lived it up a bit in the real world and at least he's worked out how to cover ninety percent of his skull with thirty percent of his hair. <laughs> <laughs> London Review of Books two thousand. Oh, oh my god. god could you imagine if he
0: knew <laughs> what what would happen with Donald Trump in the United States I it's it's just so sad I could cry I could cry just thinking about it the what he would think and just the fact that we can mm. we can't see it it's uh, it's such a letdown it's so disappointing Yeah yeah, was, uh, yeah. Oh, and not right, even Oh go ahead I was going to say not even just because I I want to know what to think about it like I don't look at, at Hitch as a I think many people like look at their idols and that like he, I, I share every opinion with him. I actually don't. Um, I, I think I admire the man more for his personality um, and just the way in which he lived his life yeah. versus his series of opinions. It was the way in which he thought. And that was his whole method was like, you know, mm-hmm. how does someone think is a better indication of who there are than what they think. And that is so much uh, that, that is what he taught me. I think in a, in an essence, rather than, you know, I wish he was around because I want to see him perform and and see what he thinks, but not so I can just be like, oh, here's
1: my opinion, you know, because yeah, here's exactly. that. Absolutely. I, I at, at the end of one of my um, essays for university, <laughs> I even I, I quoted uh, letters to John Contrero when he says, the I, I think it's the essence of the independent mind lies in not what it thinks, but how it thinks. And I, yes. I, I love that. And I think you were paraphrasing that there yes. um it was it, it's a, i mean let's do a story young contrarian is really underrated like it's it's got so much good stuff i mean i must say though i mean i did read it maybe two years ago three years ago but and i didn't get most of the book honestly because it, you know it is cool it's about things that are in the past but i'm you know the things where he was making these intellectual anecdotes i was all over that like it's, it's so good um, I have two quotes here, actually, so both on the same subject of uh, the modern climate. Let's just say, so freedom of expression must include a license to offend. He said that on Iq Square, two thousand six, uh, and this is the uh, this is the sort of one that I think is a good prediction, actually. Um, when Doctor Samuel Johnson had finished his great looks photography, the, the first real English dictionary, he was visited by various delegations of people to congratulate him, including a delegation of London's respectable womanhood, who came to his parlour in Fleet Street and said, but Doctor, we congratulate you on your decision to exclude all indecent words from your dictionary. And he said, ladies, I congratulate you on your persistence in looking them up. If people are determined to be offended, there's nothing you can do about that. brilliant absolutely yes i love both of those dearly
0: yeah brilliant the crowd reaction to the ladder was was, uh was very good
1: it's like a like a million view youtube video isn't it like like one minute it's great yes that's really
0: the essence of climbing on a ladder to see into your neighbor's window to be offended by what they do in the bedroom right it's like the (laughs) essence of going out of your way to 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 be offended but uh yeah nowadays if you're offensive you are you're, you're, you're deleted. I mean, that's the end of it, right? That's the end of your Twitter account or, or whatever it might be. I, you
1: know, it's funny talking about, um, liking somebody's ideas or liking them as an individual, like, you know, Hitchens and, and the idea that you don't have to agree with everything that they say or, or thought. And, you know, last week I was sort of at a dinner with family and my brother, um, like the 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 gender pay gap basically came up not from me but mm. from somebody else in in the conversation and uh and my brother was like yeah don't don't talk to james about about that he he would just you know he would just i don't know what he said like regurgitate some jordan Peters and stuff and i was I turned to him and I was just like <laughs> like do you like do you not get the fact that just because I listen to somebody sometimes that doesn't mean that I agree with everything that they say um and so it's it's that sort of situation where there's just so much misunderstanding. Like, you can't, like, and I, and I get this from people a lot about, about Hitchens in particular, like, you know, like, oh, you, you, you must agree with all of this and, and you condone all of his bad arguments, let's say. And it's just like, no. Like with the Bible, for example, I take what's interesting, metaphorical, culturally significant, um, the architecture. I, I love all of that. I, I love all the culture. I, I love all of that. But that doesn't mean I condone slavery. That doesn't mean I condone all of these other things. And more people don't seem to understand, again, it's low resolution thinking, what people don't get to understand, uh, seem to understand is that you can admire somebody merely for one attribute, or two, or three, not necessarily all of them. And I, I don't know if this is people half trolling, or if people are genuinely that um closed-minded or or dull um but it's it's just it's just repetitive at this point just just having to say look i i don't just because i like a writer just because i like hitchens just because i like peterson that doesn't mean i agree with him on god that doesn't mean i condone how vague he is on religion that doesn't condone all this it's it's repetitive and it's irritating
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's it's is, but it's unbelievable to me how many people won't even engage with um, you know, an individual <laughs> simply because they know that they don't fall on the same side of the line as them. Um, like mm-hmm. you said, you know, I, I love David Bentley Hart, for example. Yeah. Great in video, great prose, um, and you know, beautiful writer, uh, great personality. Uh I greatly admire the man. Of course I have a litany of differences with him. Oh you know, of of course. Um, but I still really, I still really like him. Uh, it's just funny that folks don't seem to have, it's just utter lack of nuance. I just continually, this comes up in conversations with some of my, uh, some of my friends and just folks that I talk to where it's just so many people have this complete lack of nuance. Um, and like you said, you know, you just because you like someone, you can like them for one thing. We're also disliking people for just one thing. Mm. Um, you know, you can cancel someone over just one tiny aspect of their existence. And I, man, I don't know about you, but I have found in my life that humans are so incredibly complex and full of just history and trauma and where they have were born and how they were brought up that if you're going to write somebody off just for one negative quality, um, even if to you, that's the cardinal sin, um, you know, that's, that's the, that's the line uh, you're going to have a hard time finding friends. You know, I, I, in, in my own experience, you know, coming going to a Christian university and having a vast majority of my family and friends uh, are evangelicals, you know, so many of them believe things that, uh, you know, I don't believe or they might have certain beliefs about gay people that I don't share at all. But, you know, to say I'm going to not speak to my parents anymore because of this belief they have or that belief or to say they're an entirely terrible person because they believe this thing about religion or this thing about people... You just it's very difficult to live that way and i I think it's a, it's also just a very hateful way to live um yeah and so I try not to do that on my own side when someone says something that like really pushes my buttons I'm like okay don't let this completely skew your view of them as a person just because they said X comment about non-believers or you know this this or whatever um I don't know talk to me a little bit about that do you find that in your own your own uh life james
1: yeah yeah I mean i've I've noticed like you, just the amount of black and white thinking that people seem to have, and and, and I mean, you know, how I view other people, I mean, it's in, in regards to what you said. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I when you study psychology, you start to realize that people do things for a reason, and as hard as it is, you have to understand that even if somebody's being really to you. you they are doing that for a reason. They might be insecure, they might have had a bad day, and so as far as I'm concerned, I find myself, if anything, being too sympathetic to that to that theory. Um, and I don't think it can be refuted, because I, I, there's no one that I've ever come across that has been rude to me or anything like that, provided I've known them personally, that I couldn't sit back and instantly realise, you know, after recollection, that is, like, yeah, there's clearly things about their life or their personality that would mean that it's more probable that they would get angry in this situation, or they would feel resentment, and the most difficult part of that is is to try and, because there's the fine line between, I don't know, because, you you know, I'm sympathetic towards that, but at the same time, you have to do something about it at some point, and I'm quite bad at that. I'm, I'm still trying to learn. Like, to, at what point do I blame somebody for something? At what point yeah. do I say, "Look, you've done something wrong," or, or like, you know, th- this is unforgivable? Because in my head, it's like I, I I don't intrinsically believe that because people have been, people individually are, are going through and have been through so much, and so I, I just find myself very. It's very difficult to to blame people. It's, um. yeah yeah Yeah. just just i mean on a psychological it's, level just it's it's very difficult
0: yeah it's really hard to kind of draw those lines because I, I know you've i think you've read uh like sam harris's free will correct yeah or you've at least come across yeah, yeah. so you think about things like that and then you look out into the world and you know or you, like you said just study psychology and then you interact with people and i often find that i agree with so many of those like i know those things but then when it comes to my like pragmatism and my like way about life i then just you know i'll go into my little jordan peterson rant about <laughs> cleaning your own bed and being responsible yeah. for your own life and getting your life together um and it's it's a weird balance between those two things you know i uh i always try to you know i always think that you know people have to change themselves they have to be the one to make the, the right choices and you cannot change anyone they have to make those changes and you can empower them to the uptenth degree but if they don't act as an independent you know autonomous individual uh nothing ever changes and so it's uh it's it's a weird balance but at the the same time you know i think that one of the famous harris lines from that book is if you changed bodies with them cell for cell like you would be making those exact same decisions and to juggle those two things at the same time is is very difficult it's it's very difficult um to do Uh, i think about that a lot um I just, you know, consider friends and their decisions and the way they choose to live their life. And I'm like, you know, what does one to do about
1: that? that? Everything that we've experienced, whether voluntarily or not, has led up to this present moment. And when you come into the wide arena of how much people have experienced and the degrees of which they've experienced things, I, it's just hard to be surprised at how people act sometimes like yeah. like it's understandable if somebody's bitter and, and and hateful like i like it's it's understandable like i get why they are like that um and it's hard because you know you, you can't dictate you can only show someone a door and i guess trust them to walk and yeah. open it and go through it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's,
0: it's, I mean, it's like one of those. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> it's like when you. Uh... It's funny because I, like, I often just think about my own, like, just upbringing or whatever, and I was very blessed with like, a great family environment. And then I hear things like from other friends or just from other people, and it's just almost unfathomable to me. Um, you know how one would react and grow in those those certain situations. Um, but then at the same time you know, like the people, you know, to, to, I don't want to say to make it, but to like, to do well in life, to be prosperous, to, you know, to be fruitful, to have friends and to have a job that you enjoy and to just be happy, you know, when you wake up in the morning, or even not happy, but just maybe fulfilled would be a better word. There's mm. similar behaviors and certain things that one has to undertake that no matter if you come from the most privileged of backgrounds or the most horrible of backgrounds, those same, whether it's disciplines um, or actions or mindsets, are universal. And so it, it, while you might be easy to hammer at home with some, you know, individual who grew up, you know, in a great environment, it's also the unfortunate truth that those same truths are uh, going to help the person who grew up in a terrible environment. Um, so I don't know if it's the delivery that has to change or, you know, how
1: how we ingrain those in people. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's 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 very interesting. I mean, people are receptive to all different kinds of advice or education i mean you know the the education system right now is you get a bird you get an elephant you get a giraffe and a monkey to climb a tree right any and you judge yeah you judge the elephant for not being able to climb the tree right it's like what 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 did you expect you know and yeah. and and in all fairness i think before you criticize the system you have to understand how you would alternatively change it. And I think that's a very difficult task and I have no idea. I mean I have suggestions, but I'm not I'm not in a sort of position to even understand that. And so on one hand we have to kind of again give sympathy in, in the fact that like clearly this is the most feasible way of doing things, otherwise it would be otherwise um now of course there can be financial incentives and and disingenuousness and and fair enough that will always be true but you know if 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 somebody has a better idea then where are they um not to go into politics too much but but that's kind of one reason why you know this whole socialism thing is like oh socialism hasn't worked yet it's like okay like you can say that because it's an unfastable claim go ahead man go ahead demonstrate that it will work and demonstrate that it will work with less casualties than what capitalism already has under its belt which is quite a lot you know i don't think either is 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 uh, innocent i'm i'm pretty on the fence i don't know enough about it to take a side yet i mean i do have a side but i don't hold that side with the vigor that yeah, you know, i would if i knew more about it basically um but both sides of the spectrum are guilty and again it just comes back to the same thing it's like pick a side you have to be in a box like i i kind yeah. of understand them in, in a way because people are trying to box him in or they were trying to box him in they were trying to say you know i are you a racist are you uh do you believe in god and it's like Okay, fair enough. Like he could answer the question more consistently, more more concisely. But in all fairness, that is part of the motive. is the box you in, and that's what politically that uh, and even sociologically that that's what we're always being pushed against. Pushed against this box. Oh, we oh, you're uh, upper class, you middle class, you're lower class. It's like. I'm an individual, like Bruce Lee, when he was interviewed in in uh, America, like I don't know what year it was, but obviously before he died and, and uh, later in his life, and the interviewer said, um, "Would you consider yourself an American?" And he said, "I consider myself a human being," uh, and and that always stuck with me because like it, it's basically just manifesting what I just said. It's 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 really just taking a step back. And denying and negating all of these boxes and all of these ticked boxes, uh, you know, that, that are trying to be in place. All of these procedures that are trying to um, force shove people in to to being and to and to thinking in certain ways, um, you yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what what you just said here. Um, I completely agree, and I'll, I'll give Hitch another voice here. Sure. Um, this is under the race and r- race and racism in the quotable Hitchens. For years, when I went to renew my annual pass at the United States Senate, I was made to fill in two forms. The first asked me for my biographical details, and the second stipulated that I had signed the former under penalty of perjury. I was grateful for the latter form because when asked to state my race, I always put human
1: in the required box. <laughs> Hitch knew what was up. I've never heard of that yeah. one, Riley. Never, you never heard of that one. I've never heard of that one, man. Uh, yes, uh, I uh,
0: yeah. I knew that would be in this if I looked if I looked under yeah. that um that that title. Right. Yeah, he um he didn't like those lines either, right? And it, that's the thing if they if someone can label you, then they know what to do with you in their brain. They know yes. where to put you, and that's that's an easy way of thinking. It's a lazy, more specifically, uh, way of thinking. Um, and uh, you know, it just goes right back to what we said about you know keeping the party line you know if they can if they can sit you right in that then um they know they know just what to do with you um absolutely yeah absolutely it's it's difficult though to you know that's how we're it's how we're also we need to think as human beings like we have to get things laid out a certain way in order to move in the world right peterson talks a lot about that like we have to you know get things to where we understand them in order to do anything at all so again, it's, it is like a balancing act though, right? It's You need to balance between the two points, um, uh, between the two of those points. And yeah, I think that's something you even don't even see necessarily a lot of, uh, I think a lot of the atheist community is guilty of that, where a lot of the atheists you meet are just like, can't say a good word about anything about religion or about the Bible, about anything. And it's it's eminently frustrating to me to come across um, folks like that. Um, because it's a, uh, I'm like, you are just like, you're just like the, the folks on the other side here.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's and and I, and I think it, it extends not only to, you know, militant atheism, but, but also just, you know, uh, politics or just personal life, like people are militant about a lot of things, and then they blame other people for being militant about things. It's like, okay, you have your side, but don't blame somebody else for being militant about something when you yourself are clearly militant about it i mean i mean going back to the sort of the the um the the shapes point and and everything like that it's like we we are meaning creatures we are we we look for shapes when they're not there even which is the emergence of faith which maybe you can go into a bit but i don't know but I think this all stems back to our, our biological imperatives, our, our predispositions, which is we search for shapes. And that extends to what I said before, such as uh, tr- trying to construct um, boxes and, and, and put things neatly in one box and another, and try and essentially just make meaning and, and coherence out of what we perceive. Um, and. As I, as I alluded to, like with, with religion that's a prime example, like people, you no, know, because Christians often say to me, do you think the apostles were lying? Do you think they made it up? Do you think they died, um, you know, do, do, do you think they really, they really died for a false belief? And I said, and I say, probably like you would Riley, which is just because somebody dies for a belief doesn't entail that, that belief is true and then i reference jihad bombers and i'm like is Islam true? we're in a bit of a bit of a problem here so yeah it's it's the same sort of thing
0: it is yeah there's and there's modern day miracle workers i mean and i say Hmm. modern day i mean the last hundred hundred years that you know have thousands of followers and believers you know that uh, carry the faith their whole life and i'm sure some of them have died for what they what they believe and um yeah that line of argumentation i, I so many lines of within religious argumentation i find that if they would just relate those same li- lines of thinking to the religion next door they would then not use that line of argumentation <laughs> that's that's not for every religious argument but so many of them um especially when it comes to the fact checking um it's 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 rather rather unbelievable um how that how that happens there I just saw a funny Instagram post and I don't know who shared it, but it was like a, something about the moon and they had seen like a crack in the moon and a Muslim had like said something about oh, being like, yeah. ah, where is this where Muhammad split the moon in half? <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. riding on the, on the, uh, on the, on the ass. Um, and, uh, I was like, oh, <laughs> I hope that's not a real, <laughs> I love that's satire.
1: Yeah. Well, well, I mean, the, the, uh, the, the, Apostles thought that they, uh, uh, followers and, and I guess first hand accounts and, and people who thought they saw Jesus resurrected and so on. I mean, they're all convinced that he would return, uh, in their lifetime, right? And as Hitchens said himself, he's a bit late, he's 2,000 yes. years late, nearly. Yeah. um yeah it just just begs the question like how long are you willing to wait until you until you admit something's up but but that's the thing that's the thing and and i'm sure you'd agree with me here which is pulling at hope hope is one of the most corruptible and profitable currencies of human beings self-help books you know if you read this You change and then you read it hoping that you will you buy it hoping that you will you know we we hope so much and and religion not to say that it's singularly fueled on this because i would never make such a outlandish militant atheism sort of mediocre claim like oh it's you know oh religion is religion is just a coping mechanism it's like i don't personally believe that i mean it can be is that all it is hell no of course not no um but, and there's more to it. That there's there's just more to it than that. But yeah. What really hard. should should get us to question things and 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 to raise our eyebrow is the cumulative case of like how how again how unfalsifiable this 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 hope is that he will return and and uh, all things like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh,
0: it's it is quite hard. I mean. I mean the hope is the uh at many times you know it's a this is what the criticism is of wish thinking right the religion is wish thinking and i i I think in many ways that that is true but it certainly isn't the singular uh motivation behind it right um and and going back also to the apostles every time that case spring gets brought up uh, of you know the witnesses and all that my first objection is always this is all operating on the assumption that what you're reading actually happened and that people actually died for this right and that these are reliable accounts right and that goes into the synoptic problem of why is it that if you know why is it that matthew and uh, luke relied so heavily on mark and his gospel why did they more or less just in so many cases it's verbatim in their own accounts and then they added to it you know if you if you were um supposedly an eyewitness why would you not write an account in your own words uh very 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 mm. suspect um, yeah. so that's always my first objection to that is how do we even get to this this level of assumption but um uh yeah, so it, that that's a whole that's a whole another debate about you know the the veracity and the accuracy of what's of what's being written down
1: um, I, I but, think oh, sorry go ahead no, go ahead, go ahead, i I think another thing that Hitchin has once said, which was paraphrasing what's more likely um a virgin birth genuinely happened or a or a or a peasant woman told a little fib it's like (laughs) you know basically in other words were the laws of nature suspended in this one woman's favor or did she just lie i mean intuitively speaking is that really that difficult to to decide upon the conclusion that it was false um like like you said a whole lot weighs on those gospels i mean they they can't even decide on the genealogy of jesus for christ's sake i mean it's part of the pun i didn't actually uh (laughs) wasn't intended but you know yeah and i mean and that just you could further that from uh you know
0: uh divine uh pregnancy versus fib you could then do it fibbing versus uh the creation of myth i mean what is more likely that a gal lied and this just came out of nowhere or that someone somewhere was writing um religious material or biographical material not biographical but religious you know pamphleting and uh decided to use a theme which has been common um long before jesus the idea of um a miraculous birth or a miraculous consumption or a consumption without a second party um, that is a common theme th- uh, throughout world religion but also specifically can be found in in, in roman um, thinking and in the roman gods so um, is it more likely that this person borrowed from the culture and that is more the motivation of this writing mm. or that a gal fibbed and then that blew up and became that it could be both could be a little of both yeah. right um, but i'd say either of those are more likely. Than the fact that one night uh, she was startled in her sleep by, um, you know, the divine creator. And the next thing she knew, she was just getting, you know,
1: impregnated, however that happened. I find it, I find it, always find it quite ironic when Christians criticize Islam, saying that it's just a copy of myths before it. How do you think Christianity came about? Like,. <laughs>
0: yes those those folks are not read up on their zoroastrianism or their uh their their uh their torah right (laughs) apparently not no no yes they don't they don't know they should read uh you know about the history of their of their devil where where that came from and how that developed and um you know how much the babylonian captivity influenced the the jewish thinking and then so uh, seamlessly
1: led into you know sort of this uh, the thinking that you see in, in what we call the, the new testament yeah i mean i mean take take some of the the jewish predictions well i mean i i've talked to a jew and they they deny any of these predictions and even deny they're in the torah uh, which i found quite interesting um but yeah. you know the, the messiah will ride on an ass. how many people ride on an ass? 2,000 years ago into Bethlehem. I mean, is, yes. is that is that so much of an extraordinary claim? Is it, is no. it, is it an extraordinary prediction? I, I really doubt that. Yeah, and not to mention that uh, the very fact
0: that that prediction is plucked out of... Um, ooh, I'm going to get the book wrong, so I'm not going to say it, but it, so many of the Old Testament... Um, I believe that one in particular is from Matthew... Um, and so many of Matthew's so-called fulfillment prophecies, um, are places he is just reading in the Old Testament, he's finding these, um, you know, these, these verses, and then he is writing his own, he's writing back into them. He's using them and saying, oh, well, this aligns perfectly with this. And if Mm. you read those verses in context, many of them aren't even predictive in nature. Um, and then there's the famous mistranslation of Alma or a virgin and the fact that it just means yep. young woman, like all these things you look into. And actually my last podcast, which now has been, has been a little bit because Riley has been missing uh, he's been on hiatus. Um, but with Dr. Price, we talk about this specifically um, in the book, uh, uh, Gospel Fictions, Gospel Fictions by Randall Helms. We talk about this specifically in part of the podcast where we just amazed at Matthew's Uh, just seemingly for freedom to just go into the old testament and pluck something out and then just be like oh and this was done in fulfillment of this of of this scripture um you're 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 completely right not only is it not exceptional and that many people could have done this but also many times these verses are completely removed from context um and then used to the author's whim Mm.
1: I, i guess being the devil's advocate i'm i'm thinking I mean, just out of curiosity, if you know, if you could yeah. explain this this on a deeper level. But is there any evidence to suggest that that's the case? Over over the contrary, over that maybe there were genuine predictions. Is
0: there any evidence that the predictions were? Well, I guess I better reframe this question. Um, that the predictions did come true. Or that they were written specifically as predictions. Which
1: which one am I um, going with here? Do, do, is is there any evidence, let's say, that that points to the fact that they were manipulated? The texts were manipulated, like you suggest. Um, because I'm I'm just wondering, you know, of, of what a, someone would reply to that, and I really don't know actually. Um, but, but obviously, you read the you read the piece and talk to Price, so I'm just wondering if he said anything about that or any any more information for my own interest,
0: anyway. Yeah, so I guess part of the argument for that is um, that Helms make, and, and the reason I read Helms is because it was highly recommended by Dr. Price, um, so I have a little section highlighted here, for example, um, that reads, uh, indeed, he had already corrected Mark many times before uh, often doing so on the basis of what he regarded as his superior understanding of the oracles of the in the Old Testament. So we're speaking of Matthew here. Mm-hmm. For since Jesus' life happened according to the scriptures, right? That's the English translation of what you read before one of these predictions occurred. Um, early Christians were confident that in order to find out about him, they need not to engage in historical research or consult witnesses in our understanding of these two approaches, they found detailed history in the ancient oracles of the Hebrew Bible, read as a book about Jesus. Um, so here's what Helms was arguing, and what also uh, Price, not to put, put, put words in his mouth, but what I, I think he would also say, is that they were reading back, looking for these things. This is not something that they were, you know, for generations. People, some of not all, some of these were somewhat predictatory in nature, but. Um, many of these oracles were simply just from verses that had context. They have their own context in the book, in the old Testament they were written about, you know, what that author is writing about at the time they have either historical or literary context. And what you find in Matthew is his seeming ability to just pluck from them and pull it out in order to create this narrative of his idea of Jesus, which of course, if you've read the new Testament, Matthew's idea of Jesus is not quite what Mark's is. Luke's Hmm. is not quite what theirs is. And then John is, you know, John being the latest written, the 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 myth has developed. I mean, he is uh, it, Christ has become God. Uh, the Word has become flesh. Like it, they're completely one. Um, yeah. So there's another quote in here that says, before they wrote the New Testament, Christians created another entirely new book, the Old Testament, turning the Septuagint um, or the Greek Old, the Greek um, Old Testament. Um, into a book about Jesus by remarkably audacious and creative interpretations, meanings it had held for generations of G- for, of Jews, its historical and poetic content especially, ceased to exist. It became not a book about the past, but about its own future. Um, so I won't just sit here and read quotes all day, but I'd say—
1: Beautifully worded.
0: Yeah, wonderfully worded. This is a really great book for those who haven't read it. It's not a very popular book. like it, It's not a— uh, uh a bar airman you know book but it's 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 wonderfully written um and i thoroughly enjoyed it and it's 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 a brilliant bit about how the old testament was used as foundational material to write the new and this extends not just from the oracular or the oracles in the old testament this even goes to some of the miracles that are recorded so if you look at the miracle of um for example when christ is approached um and he goes and heals um the centurion's daughter. Um, that story is so close to an Old Testament healing by um, Elijah. Could be Elijah. I believe it's Elijah. Um, that it is word for word in some places. The Greek is identical to copies of the Septuagint we have from the Old Testament about this this miraculous healing that Elijah does. It's word for word in some areas in Matthew. I mean it's clearly just been copied over and slight details changed to fit Jesus and I this was something I had no idea about um until I first came across this idea I think from Dr. Price maybe from Mythvision uh, shout out to to Derek over there um a previous guest that has been on house society here um but that was just mind blowing to me when I first heard that um I never came across that unsurprisingly in Bible college <laughs> um but it's it's an amazing the parallels between the two um what's, what's the name
1: tr- of the book again
0: it is gospel fictions by randall helms um and i wish i had it bookmarked to you the little bit about um that compares the two of them but i i don't i only have certain little uh, sticky notes yeah and it's it's an unbelievable he his parallels between some of these miracle stories and their events in the old testament and not and other events in the new testament specifically in matthew and how similar it is to some of these uh, accounts in that Elijah did, it's unbelievable. It, it's mind blowing. And I mean, it is for sure, word for word in some places, how he's just like, oh, we'll just make Jesus do this on this day. Um, and it's, it's multiple lines within the stories match up incredibly. And, and it's in the Greek, we're looking at this in the Greek, it's not even like the English translations match up. So it's the Septuagint and what we think are, you know, obviously the originals or as close to the originals as we can get so highly recommend that to everyone um that's that's i think all this came from the idea that when we talk about the new testament people just assume like the veracity of so much that it actually happened And my this is why my first objection is always like hold on hold on hold on we can't even get to there so why are we building arguments off of a off of a premise that no one has agreed on yet mm. um at least it's that I, I mean, debatable. so many yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 so
0: many scholars I think I'd, have haven't so, agreed on yet.
1: So building on that, I have a follow-up question because, like, you know, I'm genuinely interested in your thought process here. Like, so you know, those texts being looked at and then and then compared and then actually intertwined. You know, do do you think that that was? disingenuous like directly just do you, do you think they knew what they were doing or do you think they were so blinded by their faith in what they thought was jesus and, and and their revelations that they thought genuinely that what they were doing was true because the question is if it's the if it's the if it's the uh former then what motive would they have to lie to themselves so it must be in turn be the latter so i'm I'm just interested in hearing <clears throat> what, what you think about that
0: yeah i oh man this is another point actually that dr price and i touched on directly um the i just to come out and say oh they were liars they were fabricators they were this or that i you know i i had to take them to do that because it's not just that they were I mean, I think to a degree they had an idea of what they were doing and may have been a bit dishonest. Uh, Bart Ehrman talks about this in Forged, um, which when even just in the title alone, there's negative connotations. When you we hear forged, we think someone did something knowing what they were doing. There's been arguments raised by Christian scholars that um, certain documents weren't like forgery or copying this or signing. In his case, this the book Forged is mostly about authorship of the New Testament And it was said that, oh, well, signing a um, letter as someone else wasn't thought to be disingenuous. It was actually a sign of respect. I can't remember what the exact line of argument is, but his is an in-context argument against that, saying, no, this was done disingenuously. As for the creation of the Gospels, I hate to just look at it and say like it was a lie because, you know, it's so hard to know to put my— that's putting my mind—trying to get inside the mind of the person who wrote it 2,000 years ago and their motivations and why they were doing that. You know, we're just assuming that they think that everyone was going to believe this and it was going to get out and become holy writ, right? And I don't know that that's a safe assumption we can make. So um, while I do know in some cases they probably knew that what they were writing wasn't exactly true, I don't know that that was the point to them. You know, I can't. I don't know for a fact that what they wanted to write it off and pass it along saying this factually happened right you have in luke it does sound like that when luke prefaces his gospel he's laying out an account of things that he thinks actually happened but Mm -hmm. you know he's pulling from mark did mark create this just more like as religious religious literature was it creative writing you know and it got out of hand Mm -hmm. (laughs) um i don't know so i hesitate to say to say that it was just fat out fabrication uh flat out fabrication or, or or lies i think there's more to it than that but when but I'm not so much responding or criticizing the author for what they've done. When I make points like this or or, or point out objections of this nature, I am more so replying to the folks that maybe I grew up with, right? The evangelicals who are taking the scripture as word-for-word truth, as saying this actually happened, um, as this was true. It's historical. It's those people that I'm saying, hold on now let's look at this let's look at this and if you want to examine it in a critical eye like that i'll put on my hat and we can debate it in that way i think that's a debauchery of it's disgraceful to treat scripture in that way it's like reading genesis as a as a literalist and saying that the earth was created in six days I, I it's just I don't even want to have that argument with, with someone. <laughs> I'd much rather talk about the beauty of the text and about the yeah. idea that we are made in God's image and what that means to the people who wrote it. Um I think that's much more interesting, but so often mm. the conversations one has uh, are with literalists, right? They're with, you know, fundamentalists. And yeah. so you have to kind of put that cap on and, and, and take under that that approach. So
1: Yeah, I, I mean one of my yeah, no, the, the brilliant brilliant response is you really sold me on that book, um, yeah. But, but I mean, the I think one of the main things for me that I bring up when I talk to people of of any faith, you know, Muslim or, or I mean, it's I guess with Muslims, there's less of an interpretation because the Quran is said to be, um, quite literally the, the word of God, so yes, there's, there's there's less debate about that. I mean, there's there's Sunny and, and Shia, but you know. And then the Hades, um, conveniently when I recited the Hades about Aisha, sure? he turned around to me and said, Oh, he doesn't believe in those particular hadiths. I was like <laughs> convenient. Convenient, right. <laughs> um, but but with with Christianity at least, you you can pull the card, which is what makes you so sure that your interpretation is true? You know, and it's, it's just and, and I and I come up with the the statement which is like it's just why isn't it clearer like why all of this dancing why all of this like you know misleading what like i mean as hitchens himself said bringing it back like um buggering around with job to prove a point yeah he wouldn't do that (laughs) <laughs> it's like, you know, it, it's just absurd because I, you know, I've read I've read Carl Jung's um Answer to Job and I really really like that book. It's 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 a very interestingly written book and I, I in one way I was like, yeah, okay, look, you're making some logical points here, but at the end of the day I'm just like, okay, but did he really need to do it like that? Did he really need to convince abraham that he was going to kill his son like that's psychologically damaging like like why are we still being blamed for what our ancestors did um well apparently anyway adam and eve like why are we still being blamed for their sin like yeah sure it's embedded in well it's apparently embedded in all of us okay fair enough but like why should i why should i still be blamed for that why should i even have original sin like it's just all of these questions Create more more questions rather than satisfactory answers. And, of course, you could turn around and say, as a Christian, oh, well, God wants you to question all of these things. But then, again, the whole dance happens again. It's like, but does he really, though? Because when you question God, things don't go too well. You know, Joe, for example. It's It's like, you know, all of these turning arounds can happen. All of these conversations can happen. But what at the end of the day is... Is that nobody knows shit like it's it's, it's completely debatable <laughs> like it's completely debatable and 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 again it's 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 this statement which is either all gods are true, either your God is true or no gods are true. what do you think is most likely? yeah, it's yeah. like you know the conclusion to me seems obvious, <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a that's a plus for
0: rhetoric right which is it's a very that argument right there is it's a very common one but just a thought experiment alone is very effective right it's very effective mm-hmm. just to think about that honestly and genuinely with you know about those sort of just easy uh, that's not right that's not like, like a super analytically it's not an analytically you know argument for why god doesn't exist but it's just a very simple line of reasoning to go down and it genuinely makes one think um and i think what you said about you know uh just the fact that it isn't clear like why isn't it clear um or the notion of original sin there's just which is of course not even agreed upon universally by all the different christian places it's it's definitely i mean it's concerning and it's uh it's made me in just the way i think about the idea of god and it's very difficult to conceive of how god would then fault someone for not coming to the right conclusion, because it's just so darn difficult. It's just so open to interpretation, um, all of it, that even if you were to retain your Christian hat, um, your Christian identity, and, um, you know, continue along that road, there's just so many ways in which you can fall in, and, you know, an Orthodox Russian Christian looks so different from an evangelical fundamentalist, that it's just if God's going to save both of them, well, God's going to save anybody, right? Uh, a la David Bentley Hart, maybe, right? So it's, it, it just becomes a point then of, I, you just want to throw your hands up and be like, well, then what's the point at all? You know? Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, and you talk about Job too, again, that's like a literalist reading of Job, which is supposedly our oldest book um, in the Bible, the first authored book in the Bible, um, which what what we, what scholars tend to think of it as. And uh, instead of just like reading Job and like, Kind of looking at the story and like uh just reading it almost like a Greek epic and like talking about the ideas behind it, like that's that's how I want to interact when I read that something like that. Um, or how interesting Satan is in that he is like uh Satan is like God's um, I heard someone say this the other day and I'm not I can't remember who it was, but like talking about how Satan is God's prosecutor in that story and he's like, Hey, can I go mess with so and so to see if he still likes you? And the guy's like, Oh yeah, go go fuck with him a little bit. And so he goes off and he, yeah. he does. He does a little bit and he's like comes back and he's like, Hey, you know, he still likes you, but I bet if I did this, he'd be like, Oh no, screw that guy. And he goes back and does something else. Like, that is not the Satan that we get the that you get the, you know, a picture. Painted of if you grew up in where I did, like right in the Midwest, in the United States. That's not, Satan doesn't work with God like that. And it's like collaborative, like duo, you know, uh, (laughs) dual volleyball team or whatever. Like they, yeah, they don't work together like that. They're like arch enemies and they don't have conversations like in God's throne room. They're just like on, you know what I mean? So it's very interesting. Jobs are interesting. And it's how it shows you a very early look into this idea of like God's adversary or God's like almost like his prosecutor. I think that might be also, um, it is. That's also uh, one of the... I'm pulling that from uh, Dr. Price's book, his most recent book. Which is... Uh, let me see
1: if I have it. I can't find it. It's always...
0: How many times am I going to turn around in this podcast and like reach for something <laughs> and then not be able to identify where it is? <laughs> this is a, a laid-back podcast for the listeners. Yeah. This was uh, shortly... It's a spur, spur of the moment. But his, his most recent book is called um merely christianity obviously a play on c.s lewis's mere christianity and the cover of it the cover of the book is actually um this super similar to the cover of mere christianity that came out in like the 70s or 80s or something like that uh it looks almost just like it and that was dr price's way of kind of subtly finger you know you know his little his little finger poking the ribs um that's from that as well though he yeah anyway. he traces the history of satan it's a good it's a good book You said just
1: like the hitch in and what in then uh just being a bit sneaky oh you you know, yeah his publications just... just like the you know mother Teresa, the missionary physician no one left <laughs> to lie to god is not great. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah but, you
0: yeah know. i have to think that part of that was hitch and some of it was probably publishers like uh pushing him but honestly Hitch did it seem like someone who you had to push very hard um <laughs> to make your subtitle be like a subtle jab i'm sure that was something why, that why, why
1: religion poisons everything i mean if if there's one subtitles that i could think up in my head to make someone pick up a book that's going to be it like oh does it poison everything how does it poison everything and it's 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 genius i'm 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 not gonna lie it is genius oh yes have like, to have your taught, marketing in line and and we talked about this before because people have come up like they they've they've talked to me and, and I've talked to them and and they've said like, and they, look, it's fair. Like Eric, for example, like, you know, conscious philosophy. Um, he's a really, really great guy. Um, he's, he's awesome to have conversations with. He is. And, uh, and, and, and he's like, you know, religion poses everything. Like, you know, come on. And it's like, I, I, I understand. And I, and I agree with that, but, and, and I think Riley, because I, I was in sort of, I was in, doubts per se i was like what you know what do you think of this like what do, what do you think of the title do you think do you think it does and, and all this sort of thing and then you we were just talking about hitchens potentially being disingenuous and all that kind of thing and then you pointed out to me um i think in the video that i had in my channel about um you leaving evangelical christianity i, th- I think that's it um yeah but but you but you were like look you're not supposed to take it literally, a bit like the Bible. Hey, okay. you're not you're not trying to take it literally. It's it's you have to sort of respect the fact that he was also a journalist. Like, and again, it's context. Like to, to to anyone else, it's it's fair enough. But with Dawkins, I think he was definitely hamming it up. You know, although although the good delusion, I have no, I have no, I have no uh, issue with that. Because yeah, because I mean, technically speaking, provided atheism is, um, is true, all that 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 phrasing kind of puts me off a bit. I mean, you know, William Lane Craig always says, if atheism is true, it's like Hitchens would just turn around and say, ah, but you, you you're getting it wrong. You're getting the wording wrong. It, atheism is true. It's just you know, it's it's a non-position. Um. Like, oh yeah, and I also wanted to. I'm just sparring around at the moment, but I... I, That's okay. I want to ask you a question. Um, We may have talked about this before. I I think we have. I don't know if we've done it um, non-privately, but... I'm just still thinking about the burden of proof, and like... Oh, yes. You know, because I think atheists... I think anybody even making a claim, intellectually, should be able to defend that claim. And I'm left thinking, is it true that atheism has a burden of proof, or is it not? Because, to give you briefly what my updated thoughts are, I think yes, but at the same time nobody goes around saying they're a non-stamp collector. So, atheism is a negative, and theism is a positive. And so I do believe that both should, you know... Um, honestly have their own justifications you know the individual let's say have their justifications of their belief but that doesn't mean that that belief that doesn't that doesn't separate the fact that a proposition is a proposition and a neutrality is a neutrality but then i don't know there are some objections to that but i'm just going to let you give your thoughts on that sure Oh
0: man. So my thoughts on this are a little a little complex, and that's probably because I haven't sorted it out entirely in my in my own mind. Um, I go back and forth on whether this question is particularly interesting to me or if it's not. Um, I, I tend to still remain on the side that a greater burden of proof lies on the theist, um, but I specifically think that is applicable in the case of a true theist and not like a deist, you know, and the true religious believer. I think all religious believers have the burden of proof of their own idea of God, their own conception of God, right? Um, It is not my job to disprove individually the Christian God, uh, the God of Islam, the God of Judaism, uh, the the Hindu gods, etc., right? Because those are each unique in their own makeup. And now, you know, Hart and others will argue that the central themes of classical theism are the same and i think that's that that's fair um to an extent um so i think specifically within religions the burden of proof falls on that individual um just as to the idea though to back it up to like to deism or to this classical theism idea um you know when you start getting philosophical about it and you start looking at it from a very just high level perspective of was there this first cause do we have a non-contingent initial contingency that exists forever then i start to see like okay i think perhaps i do have a bit of a burden of proof like i i think i should engage in that sort of thing but if we're just talking about does the standard non-believer joe schmoe on the street have this burden of proof for why he doesn't believe in god i don't know i I think, like you said, everyone should have these thought-out positions, and they should think critically about everything they do in life, not just their stance on religion or on on God, but that he has to have like this well-formulated defense or rebuttal of Christianity. I don't think so. Or does he have to have this like formal rebuttal in his head ready for classical theism at any moment? Does he have to have it also for Islam and for Hinduism? That just, to me, seems a little wild. I think like we talked about earlier about rhetoric, I think if you've, you know, you kind of just come across it and God has never really been a factor and you just live your life without it and you kind of think, hey, like you said, is it more likely that all religions are, or that one religion is true or that they're all false? Like maybe that's very convincing to you as well. Some of the other, I don't want to say surface level or low resolution, but just the simple rhetoric, maybe that's just very convincing to you. And so I don't know that those people need to like worry about this like constant burden of proof. Um, I know that not everyone is a, uh crazy person like me and you james um, <laughs> where we, we we ruminate on these things uh yeah. despite the Christians fact that and yes Christians. yeah right i think yeah. i read i think yeah. i might have read more theology in the last year than you know my christian family did <laughs> uh maybe not all of them but uh i i was pretty i might have been pretty close right with my with my dear mm. Billy Hart and other other ones so um, I don't know. It's a that's a, all that to say. I'm really not. I'm really not 100% sure. I, I do agree with you though entirely that everyone should deeply think about these things um, and why they believe them. It shouldn't be a frivolous thought. But whether it has to be all-consuming and it's a burden of proof, I I don't know. I think if you're on the street corner and you're a Christian man, you you better have a reason for it though. And if 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 I come talk to you and you just and it's clear that the disparity is there on just what you know about the faith and whatever, then man, I, that, that, that one rubs me the wrong way. If you're going to be on a, on a, if you're gonna be a pastor standing up on a stage, you better, you better have a reason for it. Like you better know if you're going to be on a street corner, you know, if you're just the average person, whatever, but it's really that. It's like, if you're standing up pro proclaiming this, that's when I really am like, okay, you better have the burden of proofs on you. It's on you. If you're on the soapbox.
1: That's yeah, but well, what if there are presupposition, presuppositionalist, Riley? <laughs> oh, now you're just being cruel to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I... I, oh, it's just <laughs> it's just the presuppositional stuff. It's just I don't know how it isn't clear to the advocates that the, it's 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 the definition, the definition of circular reasoning, begging the question. It's it's literally a fallacy. Like it's yeah. an outright logical fallacy. Like, I mean, can can you can you just? I know it will cost you a lot of spiritual energy, Riley. But but can you even think of a steel man for that position?
0: No. I mean, if it's true, <laughs> <laughs> you you just watching me. You're normal. My second Johnny Walker and Perrier, and you waited specifically <laughs> for that moment to yeah. bring up um, presuppositionalism. Mm. Uh, So I'm going to pull out some Bible college material here. Shout out to James Bealby thinking about Christian apologetics, what it is and why we do it. Um, He's got a great little blurb on presuppositionalism. Um, So for those who don't know uh, what this is, what is it? Uh, Consequently, the authority of scripture and of Jesus Christ must be presupposed before sense can be made of arguments for the truthfulness of Christianity, um, further down, presuppositionalism is an appeal to authority. Uh, so, what does this mean? This means that you have to accept the authority of Scripture and of who Jesus Christ is, according to the person who's telling you all this, um, before you can then uh, make decide that you can make sense of the arguments for the truthfulness of Christianity. Yes, you can see I'm making circles with my finger just trying to think through this because it is. It is the definition of circular reasoning. You have to accept the truth of something before the um, arguments that prop it up make sense to you. I just want to grab the mic and shout, duh, as loud as I possibly (laughs) can. Because is that not anything? Could you not apply the same reasoning to anything? Could I not be a presuppositional atheist and say, if you accept atheism, then all the arguments I'm about to tell you for atheism will make sense. Yeah. okay well yes I could also accept the argument for it's just it is it's so circular that I I can't hardly do it and we have people like Cornelius van Till um, who's talked about in this uh, Gordon H Clark Francis Schaefer I have read my Francis Schaefer so don't come for me with the Francis Schaefer because I've, I've read the Francis Schaefer um, lots of folks here who contributed to the creation of presuppositionalism Um but uh a steel man for it yeah i guess i mean if it's true i don't know i can <laughs> and then it's true i guess right <laughs> that's just that and yeah. then that's a
1: circular answer that's my circular steel it's, man it's pretty hard to steel man something that is quite literally abusing a fallacy like just directly you know um yeah it's but uh, okay so okay so just talk to you a bit more you know cuz it's fun um and, and don't worry you can you can you can ask me some whatever um this is james after after hours (laughs) yeah (laughs) Just torturing people about bad arguments um okay so here's something that i've 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 heard you blame a presuppositionalist for begging the question right but you don't look at an atheist and say how are you trusting your capacities to think and how are you trusting your facilities in your mind to give you the truth and how do you trust rationality etc etc um and I, I guess you could link those to you know the presupposition is to that because at the end of the day we are still trusting something to gather our information um so what would your response be to that um
0: Well, first of all, I I, I guess my initial response is that I'm jotting down here. I have rationalism and then an equal sign with a cross through it uh, on the other side, atheism. So I don't think that the acceptance of rationalism or the idea that logic and the application of logic leads us to um, valid pathways of knowledge, I don't think that to accept that premise, it's so de facto atheism is true. I don't think that follows, and I don't make that claim. Um, I think you can be a rationalist um, and be uh, and trust logic, and not say that atheism is by default true. So I don't tie those two things together um, in in that sort of that sort of unholy matrimony, if you will. Um, <laughs> I do think that if you're reasoning clearly, more than likely, I I. Th- I in my opinion, non-belief, agnosticism, or some sort of atheism, right, is is more, it makes more sense to me, but I don't think that the acceptance of rationalism as a form of valid epistemology uh, immediately and always leads to atheism as truth. I don't think those two things are are, are exclusive to each other. What do you think, James?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I'd agree. I, I think it's a a leap of faith, so to speak, to to do that. I, I think I think more processing would have to be required because it's kind of it kind of reminds me of like, um, when you know when I guess I guess a theist would say, um, about how an atheist is is a naturalist, let's say, and they pretend that and they pretend that they are just it's self-evident that an atheist would be a naturalist it's like okay yeah maybe um and then they also as well as this assume that the atheist would believe in subjective morality it's like not necessarily um sam harris is is an atheist who believes in objective morality correct so it doesn't it doesn't lead on like theists like it to and and this is something i find quite a bit actually it's I mean, firstly, go back to naturalism, it depends what we mean by naturalism, because there are, you know, that that's a bit, there are discussions to be had about how we define that. Um, but I, I guess I just find a lot of the time there's a lot of assumptions about what atheists believe and what they don't believe. Um, for example, Peterson's ridiculous claim, um, oh shock horror, I don't believe everything that he says, whoa. <laughs> it's. <laughs> that you know that, that an atheist has to be reskurnikov like in *Crime Punishment* is is just I mean basically an atheist is a murderer. It's, sure. I mean, I I don't know how to justify that. That's just that's just there's so many assumptions yeah. within that statement. Like there what, is, what, yeah. what makes you think that atheist even justifies murder? And then you could say well subjective morality, but it's like ah. But what if they don't believe in subjective morality that you know so it, it, peterson makes so many so many assumptions there um and nihilism as well like conflating nihilism with atheism it's like mm-hmm. you know just because nihilism might be the implications of atheism that doesn't mean that you must follow them or that you do follow them um yeah i mean i i, I mean if you can build on that but i guess because so I've also heard like atheists can't justify their epistemology. Um, they can't justify. I mean, I guess this goes back to what I said before, but I guess I just want, or maybe a direct response to to the epistemological point, which is, Riley, how do we trust our capacities for truth? Like, how do we how, how do we remotely trust them? Ah, <sighs> well. There's a few things you laid on there. I'm <laughs> jotting my notepad
0: down. Um. So in reverse order, um, yeah. I think when it comes to, yeah, so many atheists don't accept objective morality. So Mackie, for example, I'm currently reading his, uh, The Miracle of Theism, um, which I tracked down from a seller who said there was no markings in it, <laughs> which is very important and dear to my heart. And I received yeah. the book. And it was highlighted in multiple places. So for that person, I'm coming for you. Just know. Just know that. Um, but I'm working through that. Very analytical. There are math formulas in the book arguing for and against Ooh. God's existence. Which, t- as we previously noted, James, not my forte. Yeah. Um, I love dense philosophy, but when you start adding math equations... I I understand the value in it, but I maybe I'm 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 making my I don't know maybe I'm bashing myself here, but it just starts to lose interest for me, and I don't find it necessary to do that. I'm not a huge analytical philosopher. I I I don't tend to lean in that direction, but I wanted to read Mackie because he's so well respected. But back to the original point, objective morality. Mackie didn't believe in objective morality. His best known book is um, a book that describes why he believes in subjective morality. I believe in subjective morality. but do i live like that well that's a that's a whole that's a whole nother matter um yeah as for atheism is equal to nihilism or nihilism um it depends what you mean by meaning right and i guess in terms of meta meaning in this like you have a place in the universe it's like divinely inspired yes no it does it does then equal that sort of nihilism does that mean your life has no meaning well that's a whole discussion like No, I think your life can be full of all sorts of meaning um, that you create for your own life. Um, So that's kind of my brief, just short thoughts about Mm -hmm. that. As for our epistemology and how can we trust it then, I don't think even if you believe in... I I think it's kind of circular no matter what, because even if you are a presuppositionalist or someone who believes that God has given you this trustworthy um, capacity for reasoning and your faculties are working accurately and correctly that's still sort of like an assumption that you are able to reason properly to get to that point i don't know it it does get very circular um but as for our epistemology i guess my primary defense of it is just in terms of pragmatism it just seems to work um right when you think about logic or you think about i mean the scientific process right repeatability the ability to build on it um if you're speaking about just from your own experience anecdotally if i treat a person this way how how does that end up in my life if i'm kind to my girlfriend do i like the outcome to that yes it had a good outcome and i repeat that over a long period of time then to me i'm like okay well my thought about the world is that if i'm kind to people things tend to go well for me and that is you know that's how i validate my own epistemology of ways of knowing you know how how things go well i suppose so you know philosophically, how do I validate it? You know, I don't know. I think so many when you get into these sort of conversations, it's almost just like intellectual masturbation at that point, <laughs> like it's just i I'm like, man, I would rather go live, like let me just go live like i i there's a certain point where I love to i mean I'll go as deep, I think just about as anybody, but i have I always have to come out of that and say like this is not life, like this is not living and i i I don't know you know for my seventy eighty odd years that I get. <laughs> how deep, how long do I want to spend in that In that sort of, you know, those sort of circles of reasoning, I suppose. What
1: you do know, you think, I mean, James? How, did, how
0: does James rap,
1: get his own epistemology? Uh, oh, man, it's... I usually respond with the following statement. To drive a car, we don't have to know exactly how the machines inside the car work. Like, just, like, so long as we can drive the car, we're driving the car. And for all intents and purposes, you know, it works. And whilst I'm not satisfied by that, and whilst the, the theist will dance around and say, you know, I, I've got this objective, I've got this subjective card. Woo-hoo. You know, I, I mean, it's just like, okay, look, you can do that, man. You, you can do that. But just remember something. You had to subjectively come to the conclusion that your religion was true. We're in the same boat but we're in the same boat we both had we both have to come regardless of whether you're a theist or an atheist you still have to come to a subjective conclusion about which god is true and which which interpretation is true and so both in the same position Yeah.
0: yeah absolutely i'm i'm actually the piece that i'm working on that well i i was working on before all the kind of things sort of hit the fan in my personal personal life and doing this and that, which we've talked about privately, and I've, I've been you know, a little MIA. Um, I'm working on a piece that is, uh, um, sort of addresses that point about the supposed difference between the morality, the moral stance of Christians versus atheists and, and how it's really a facade. There really is no difference. Mm-hmm. We're all making these sort of judgment calls. We're all driving the car, um, as, as you would say. And uh, again, yeah, I drive a car. I know how it works um it gets me to where i need to go that's just like i said if i treat someone a certain way i get this result it's it's pragmatism right it's it just works and we know it works we we don't just because we can't perfectly explain you know to the philosophical satisfaction of the uh he 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 christian uh um, yeah. why it works i can still say it show that it does work and um if my own life is fulfilling. Um, so I tend to stray from happiness as a metric for success, but if my own life is fulfilling and, um, you know, I'm able to spend time with my family and take care of those around me. And, uh, I, I tend to find that people respond well for me, well to me and, and, and want to be in my presence If all those things are, all those boxes are checked. Then I, 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 I try to just say, you know, that's, that's my epistemology, right? That's, that's my, that's how I think about knowledge and the acquisition of knowledge. And, uh, and honestly, what other choice do we have? We've been yeah. given these minds. If we can't trust them, you know, if they're your philosophical positions, we can't trust them. Then, okay, well, then go home. Like you're, you're like, that's the end of your. That's the end of your argument. You could sit down. You you can write that. You you can write a long paper yeah. about why we can't trust our faculties. And if that's your your argument, then okay, but, but that's even the that would be a contradiction.
1: It would. <laughs> it would because <laughs> you're coming to a logical conclusion as far as you're you being concerned, or the writer would be concerned that our faculties are unreliable so it's circular reasoning Correct. reasoning <laughs> either way
0: it is yes <laughs> yes and the uh yeah. what's the uh i believe the, the christian term for that is that all knowledge has to be given by god i believe that's fetism Yeah. has to be a, a fetist um i'm looking for the definition of that people probably laugh at me that i look for my definitions in a book instead of just he yeah, who it. does
1: that man i just that's that's like thousand years ago oh, who does that yes yeah, right and i'm all, not even looking for it a, now
0: i'm not even looking for it in a dictionary i'm looking for it like in this in this uh no I, this I, I i
1: go back to oh here we go books all the time go ahead. especially when i'm writing actually um I, yeah I, I mean when i'm writing especially when i'm writing stuff to do with religion i i go back to hitchens i go back to um just excerpts from from different authors um yeah anyway continue yeah no i was just trying to find the the definition there that,
0: that he had in this book of fetism but i mean more or less is that all knowledge has to come from god right it's he has a scale in here of um of uh it's actually a beautiful little scale of um christian apologetics um and I mean, you can't see it i'm sure but it runs from uh, rationalism with locke to natural mm-hmm. theology with Aquinas and Newman, uh, synergism with Pascal. He then he gets to, and this is from left to right, I should say. Then he gets to, on the right now, reformed theology with Augustine or Augustine, if you're refined and you drink <laughs> Johnny Walker Black. Um, Augustine and Calvin. And then the fetists or fetism, Dodwell and Van Til. Van Til, who I referenced earlier, is sort of one of the fathers of presuppositionalism. Um, that's the idea that, yeah, all knowledge has to come from God. And if you don't have that initial spark from God, then you can't really know anything. But I'm like, how do we know that God gave us right? It just goes into the circular, the circular reasoning, you know, it just all so, divulges.
1: Okay. <laughs> so I deserves. have another question um, okay. to your to the great sacrifice, Riley, of, of the uh, yes. of the chat, the thirty minute chat. <laughs> yeah this was yeah for all for all those who are wondering
0: this was like i was like oh it's like hop on james we'll do like a 30 minute hitch salute and then yeah. we'll get off what are we at now we're at an hour 43 so whenever you're ready james yeah. just let me know but i continue
1: to drink this and it continues to go well so hey look man the i, I think it was hitchens himself once again he said it almost feels mm. like a sin to break off such conversations mm. so uh I'm, I'm arguably going, my man. favorite quote arguably
0: yeah. my favorite line he yeah. ever uttered it has yeah. been. I just
1: so yeah. I love that line. Yeah, it's so yeah. great. Um, so many, so many to choose from. Um, yeah. Okay, so Pascal's wager. So I read Pascal, and in all fairness, I quite liked his writing. I felt that he was an interesting. His his thought process was interesting. It was quite sophisticated. Um, and he was kind of dealing more with probability, I guess. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to the actual wager, I overall disagree with the claim that it's valid, you know, to to say that, you know, probably, I mean, look, I think probability matters. I, I can see that all day long, but it's still fallacious to me. Because what about the gods that we don't know yet? What, what about the ones... You know, I mean, how, how do we ever come to that conclusion? Um, so what, what do you think of Pascal's wager? Are you somewhat convinced? Do you think it's kind of reasonable? Or...
0: Well, I, to be entirely transparent, I've not read it in his own words, in the whole, and especially all the surrounding context. Um like to acknowledge if i haven't actually read something i think people are always afraid to say they haven't read x if they have not if they speak on things like this but i've not read that particular bit of pascal mm-hmm. which i think i do have yeah i do i'm sure you know, I being do have a great book yeah yeah um i different. do have it but I, I i haven't read his particular but as the basic assumption goes you know what it's kind of what do you have to lose right It's the what do you have to lose proposition and maybe i don't know maybe that is uh if that's not exactly what he meant i i don't know but that's how it's always been presented to me by christians and by non-believers um and i just tend to think that that is a direct um contradiction to the idea that as evangelicals would say uh jesus knows your heart like right he knows <laughs> what you're thinking he knows your motivations for doing things, right it's don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing right yeah. um so to me if i just believing it for the fact that it's a wager then okay but if i'm not looking at it as a disingenuous way maybe i'm saying like okay i'm 18 years old and i'm looking at my life i'm like well i could live like this and follow this path and if i'm wrong i'm wrong and then let's say i say well let's just go for it and i just become a christian and i do end up trying going down that road and i believe it and i become a genuine christian maybe the the wager the gamble was like initial and then i actually become genuine in that sense um you know (laughs) in that case, you know, I guess it's just a matter of what are you more concerned about? Are you more concerned about the veracity of your, you know, knowledge claims in this life or in banking on, you know, what's going to happen in the next? And, and, and are you sure, are you so sure that, you know, Pascal's claims about the nature of the significance of this decision are true? In other words, if you get it wrong, do you actually go to hell? Are you actually mm. permanently separated from God? Like this is the, assuming the traditional, you know, um, black and white hell or heaven narrative, the idea that if you get it wrong, um, but, you know, like I said, if it's true and you can connect to this being and live a life of faith and it's a better life than, um, you know, maybe, maybe someone should go for it. I, I, I used to really, you know, I'd say Riley fresh out of college, angry atheist that i was um would have said that no like the pri- the primary importance in life is to be right right it's to it's to know what the truth is um but i'll tell you what i sure as hell would rather be friends with a evangelical Christian who is kind and friendly and that shares interests with me than i would um someone who checks every box that i have in terms of philosophical knowledge claims and is an total asshat right um it's it's and so then i started thinking about you know as i get older i'm like man i'm like does it i'm like does it matter does it really matter that much uh you know i just so many of my friends to this day are believers and 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 stuff um you know and i get along with many of them so so well and uh i mean there's a me and kaylee my significant other we we'll have a laugh about there's a she's always going to different coffee shops around town and there's like all the hipster places downtown that tend to be more liberal. And, you know, there's coffee shops in this part of town, the north, you know, this side, whatever. Um, the best coffee in town, indisputably, is at a small Christian coffee shop. And the, gal- the girls who run are all like teenage to young adult girls. And they all are genuinely incredibly nice. Then <laughs> so many of these coffee shops are going to, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know why you come here because these people are so rude. Um, these gals are just like as sweet as can be, genuinely like the nicest people um and it's for sure like a religious institute and I would rather go there than literally anywhere. Um so what is that what does that tell me about <laughs> Pascal's wager and where I you know, what I do mm-hmm. and what I what I bank on these things. I mean, uh yeah, I don't that's that's kind of my two cents on on the yeah, wager. I, I think
1: if I remember correctly, well firstly I remember that Hitchens described it as a huckster what are you gonna lose i remember him saying that <laughs> it's brilliant yes. um ah oh, just ah oh, just brilliant brilliant moment um but if i remember correctly it was a while it was probably a year ago when i read it and i and i honestly i would love to reread it because i did enjoy reading it it was really interesting um and i i think maybe i'm just mixing this up with Kierkegaard, but i I'm, i think i think what pascal was going for is at the end of the day, just make sure that you actually look into it. Make sure that you genuinely are searching for the truth. And from what I could tell, he was of the opinion that as long as you were doing your best to search for truth, that's the best you could do. Um, because I I have heard some Christians say, and on, on what authority I hear you ask? Well, <laughs> I have heard them say that the pascal's wager is uh, is is often mischaracterized and and maybe it is but i i think i know what pascal himself said which was what i said which is that as long as you're genuinely trying to seek the truth then that's all you can possibly do and i and i think i remember reading that and being like yeah okay look fair enough and i think the theory itself obviously gets a lot of uh, criticism which i agree with it basically because it does contradict the fact that god would know your will and clearly not only does he know your will but he's also in charge theoretically speaking of your life and and what decisions you make i don't buy the fact that we have our own free will i mean if we do under god then it's under an illusion considering the fact that we were brought into existence and predetermined by god and then and then the christian could turn around and say well knowledge doesn't um demonstrate uh just because just because god has knowledge of what you will do doesn't say that he controls what you do but actually he does because god is the arbiter of everything so th- that doesn't add up to me so yeah. for that reason specifically the Bas- the pascal's wager doesn't it just doesn't add up for me um, yeah that was yeah exactly one of the points in college that
0: um one of my initial uh holes in the hole of the ship that created the sinking effect that became atheism um, was hell. But after that, shortly thereafter was, I would have vigorous debates, the faithful Arminian I was against um, a Calvinist that was at my school. And um, one of the fatal uh, realizations that I came to was that there really wasn't much of a difference between my supposed free will position and their predestination position. Um, I, adding in free will i still could not find a way to justify the wrath of god against me as a sinful creature because the idea is that even in free your even if you have your free will as hitch would say you were born sick and commanded to be well and that has stuck with me forever because I thought about that and I thought about, you know, okay, I'm born, I'm not born with a 99.9% chance to sin. It is a hundred percent. And I'm being damned on that 100%. Um, and supposedly the refusal to accept Christ and like his forgiveness and whatnot. But even the fact that I can be condemned based on a hundred percent, my own nature, when this was the nature I was given to me is just utterly despicable and unjust. Um, so I, I applaud you for raising that point because it, it, it just like I earlier was raising the point about can we even trust the scripture in this point? You're, you're you're looking at the presuppositions of the argument and saying, hold on, this isn't even a real distinction. There's not even a real distinction here between the two positions, and I I completely agree with you on that. It's a yeah, false it's, uh, division.
1: Yeah, but I, I'd recommend uh, checking out the, the text itself because. Pascal did feel ingenuous to me like that he was reasoning very impressive I will say um I think I have a review of it, a short review of it on my channel yeah um I think I think I'll have to re-watch it but I think I'd probably say the same as I did here but more refreshed on the, the difference between my preconception of the, the the theory um versus my experience of reading it um yeah yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those ones that is very catchy, but lots of holes in it Fall Falls short eventually. Holes. Yeah,
0: yeah. But I have uh, a. Uh... Oh, go ahead. No, no. Okay, okay. I have a. Um. So today, the reason we actually started talking was because I replied to a uh, screenshot you have, and I wanted to ask you about it. Um, and then I wanted to maybe read the line. Um, I'm sure everyone will love me finding a book again behind me again but uh, i want to read a line <laughs> that i mentioned from hitch so you had a, a a uh quote from the conquest of happiness um is that conquest of happiness is that um russell it is, is he... yeah. it is russell yeah. Yeah. yeah yes yeah that's on my list of you know every book that's ever been written to read right <laughs> that's <laughs> what it feels like yeah, on, at my, this on point... my
1: goodreads list i've got literally about 800 books Literally. It's it's insanity yeah. i
0: have a on queue stack right here that you can't see one <laughs> two three four five six yeah. seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirty five i like 15 books on it i'm not even you know hopefully i'll read them all this year
1: but those i'll probably end up buying one or those ones are my uh to read that's okay so yeah okay physical class, um, yeah, physical okay so there. you're reading
0: russell's the conquest of happiness and you highlighted and underlined um the more things a man is interested in, the more opportunities of happiness he has, and the less he is at the mercy of fate, since if he loses one thing, he can fall back upon another. Life is too short to be interested in everything, but it is good to be interested in as many things as are necessary to fill our days. I love that. I have to read this book now. It's going gonna, it's gonna to skip the queue probably. <laughs> um, so tell me why you underlined that. And then I want to read a horrible, heartbreaking piece from Martin Amos' autofiction about Hitch and being interested in everything in order to fully crush yeah. our listeners before we close the podcast. Um to make you know, I want to end this of course
1: on the before saddest I, note possible. Before I shut down of tiredness or whatever. Um, yes, yes, and before James yeah. collapses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell me why you why you underlined that. I underlined it because when you know, when I underline things in books, it's not it's not always because I think it's Original because most of the time it isn't, it's more the way that it's said and how it connects to me at the time that I read it. And I feel like it's relatable because if we orient ourselves on one axiom in life, our axioms fail us a lot of the time. Like, for example, you know maybe in your case i don't know because i I know that you have many different interests so maybe it isn't valid but like when somebody is devoutly religious and that is their ax, like that is their axiom like yeah sure they they might like music but they're not really like that into it or maybe they're like photography but they're not like that into it but the the, the singular axiom is their faith in, in in god or in their religion and when that crumbles Everything crumbles, like literally everything, because that constitutes their entire worldview, that constitutes their their joys, their sadness, their entire viewpoint, their entire perspective depends on that being true. Right? And so when that yeah. happens, that's that's devastating. That is devastating. And so what Russell is trying to say, I think, is it's important to have I mean it's very important to have different interests for many different reasons, but I think one of them on a personal level, whenever you know From my interpretation is that when life crushes you and and when it falls down it's really good to have auxiliary things around you that haven't fallen down like for example music yeah like you know like i really enjoy music and it's something that doesn't fail you uh and it's a good example because i think everybody can relate to it in some regard like you know you can fail a test let's say, and you've worked, you've studied for this for six months. Okay. you failed it. You get home, and you know that playing this music, you, you just press a button, and it comes on, and it plays, and it only stops when you stop it. You know? Like, yeah. it doesn't fail it's you. It's wonderful. It doesn't fail you. No. Um, and I think that's, that's really important, because we need things in our life that don't fail us. And, on a psychological level, that's why families are so important, because they're supposed to be the foundation of our of our being, of our emotional and, and, and relationships, you know. They're supposed to be the the pillars of that. I mean, for example, that's why... I mean, look, to illustrate this, it's so important that when people don't have a good father figure, they make one. This explains why people idolised... Um, uh, you know, Hitler and 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 Manson, um, or, or why, for example, young women might um, want to be with older men if if their parental figure is 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 uh, is insufficient. Um, sure. It all adds up. Basically, it all comes down to the fact that what we lack, we make up for, and if we make up for it superficially, then we pay for it. We really do like seriously we do um and this just all encapsulates the idea that we need different pillars in our lives to hold us up because if there's only one pillar we're going to fall and we're going to crush under it so and i think i think i just think it's such a deep quote it's, yeah it's, yeah
0: yeah i completely i completely agree i think it's important to stretch one's own personhood enough to become interested in multiple things i think it's also a sign not always some people get obsessed with one thing and they have a depth about it that is just requires that obsession But i think a lot of people just do one thing and it's just intellectual laziness and cowardice um in the part of their ability to try new things i mean they don't develop their personality and they don't try Mm. different things because oh my God, so many things in life are interesting. I actually tend to lean towards the part where you can't be interested in everything. I've had to beat that into my head over the past five years where I just, you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I'd say, yes. Like, that. that is how I am. Like, I just want to know it all and do it all and be a thousand different things. Um, And I struggle with that. And as I've gone through my 20s, I've started to really just try to hone in on the things that mean the most to me and uh, that I've repeatedly found over my life have brought value to me. And then I've tried to just focus on those things, um, or find things that allow me to explore other venues, like um, starting this podcast and writing, um, you know, which I have been slacking on, of course, but uh, you know, is is part of the idea behind that was because I could master a medium, or at least try to master a medium, and have lots of topics of discussion within that, which would kind of scratch my itch for you know, all sorts of different things while still pursuing one, one way. So I I think it's incredibly true though. If you are interested in lots of things, when one thing goes array, like a rye, it's just so nice to be able to just sit back and, you know, do something different. Like you said, you know, if, if James, God forbid goes uh, deaf tomorrow, he can still read like, right. (laughs) You could still carry on, you know, you wouldn't be utterly crushed because it's not just music that's so fulfilling. Um, so I do want to read, um, this line Um, and of course the book is not where I thought it was so I will once again (laughs) attempt to
1: move and, and,
0: and acquire it let's just see if I can find it here let me move this out of the way okay I've spotted it let me grab it okay so a little background knowledge Martin Amos Christopher Hitchens' lifelong best friend, um, wrote this book, Inside Story. It came out earlier this year, or was it last year? Um, last year. Last year it came out. Early last year or the year before. Um, and it's a wonderful um, piece of auto-fiction, as he calls it, where it's somewhat true stories, but there's some... It, it, he tells it like, uh, you know, he goes into whole uh, parts of his life, and he goes dialogue word for word. So, obviously, it has to be fictionalized to a degree because even tomorrow, James, if I wanted to go write down exactly what you and I said back and forth, I would get, like, maybe one line right. (laughs) That's (laughs) it. So, of course, it has to be fictionalized to a degree. Um, But in this, this, um, I'm going to have to find the section here, so I'll try to monologue while I do. But in this, uh, Martin goes and meets with one of his... uh, his ex-girlfriend, um, Phoebe. And um, she's dying. And Hitch has already died. I found it. Here we go. And uh, so Hitchens has already died, and Phoebe is dying, and, and Martin Amos visits her. And um, they're discussing death and, and you know the fact that they're both getting older. Um, and uh, Phoebe says this to Martin. Notice all the books, Mart? Uh, I used to spend the whole time reading. Then I stopped. I didn't want to be interested in anything. You know, that's what I thought when I saw Christopher died. I thought, oh, he was interested in so many things. Me, I could go at any time. I've got a suicide pack with a pills stored away any time at all. And man, that just about tore my heart out <laughs> when I first read it. Um, which was, you know, I think part, one of the difficult things about death is when death is untimely. And granted, Hitch was, you know, you know, in his sixties, you know, even was his early sixties, and he lived a life, you know, m- full of experience more so than many of us will will even hope to live. Mm. But he was still like there was still you knew everyone, all of us could see it, the vibrancy that he still had. And we all look around at the things happening now and he'd only be 73 this year, right? He could have, you know, the man could have had two decades left in him, even this year. Um, And then you read that and you just think he was interested in everything, man. It just makes me want to (laughs) cry. And it makes me think about my own mortality and about being interested in things. And it, man, I always think about that hitch line where he says, you know, people say when you die, it's the end of the party. And he said. No, it's not the end of the party. You're just being tapped on the shoulder, and asked to leave. And man, I'm I'm not gonna cry here. <laughs> Two Johnny Walker deeps on a, on a, on a Wednesday. <laughs> I'm not gonna cry. But man, that kills me. It really does. It really does. And hearing her say that, and I you I have a hard time thinking that that part is fiction. Um, I I more or less would be surprised if she actually didn't say something along those lines to Martin. He was interested in everything, and all of a sudden, man, you just you don't get to be interested anymore. You just, you gotta, you know, it's just doctors and needles and, uh, and
1: then that's it. But the last, the last section of mortality is difficult to read every single yeah. time. Just the, uh, you know, when you're, when you're triumphantly reading through it, right? You're triumphantly reading through it. Like, yeah, Hitch is doing good. Hitch is, Hitch is Hitch hitches being the hitch that we know and then you get and then you get to the part where he's no longer writing it and he didn't yep. even realize he wasn't going to write it anymore it just happens it just happens and his wife just yeah talks about the towels of books and the the notes inside of his books that she still probably hasn't even found all of them yet i mean i, I feel like the reader it happens so suddenly for the reader that you could almost be in the room with him as it happened himself like that's and, and you also see his jottings it's almost like you see his his consciousness sparking out yeah in some regard uh, it's just yeah it's, it's difficult it's like when his his friends came at the end
0: and they talked about how he would have no no goodbyes and, and and no talk of the doctors or what was going on there it was yeah. only it was only gk chesterton and you know some sort of political this or that or you know something about current events it was just the man to the end was interested in everything and then it's just <laughs> lights out now it's i don't know it's moments like that where i'm like Oh man, I wish there was a heaven. <laughs> you know, I just yeah. revoke all my principles and, I, and yeah. uh, you know, wish it was different. Um, but uh, he was, you know, in his own treatment of his own mortality, he was immensely courageous and admirable um, and would always say, you know, can you imagine a world in which your dad never died and you never could, you know, get out in your world and, you know, you become the father at that point? It, he said, what world would that be? You know, um, he talked a lot about that. So, uh, but it's it's hard, man, and that line that line's gonna stick with me forever. Uh, you know, forever. There's a few yeah. books that you read stuff and I was kinda one of those people for a long time where people like say they read things that changed their life and I won't say that I read that and it changed my life, but it's one of those things I read and it's just stuck. It's
1: just I'm gonna think about that to the day I die. Yeah. And well, uh, you know, I think I don't I like to think that on the final days, you know, if I if I'm aware of the final days. Because I don't know if we want to get into mortality. I mean, I'm I'm happy to. I'm happy to. But um, Hitchens was one of the foundations for me realizing. I mean, a lot of things realize mortality for me, but but Hitchens definitely did. His book, uh, "The Last Interviews," his comments on mortality, and and he's one of the, he's just one of the the things I guess that that alarmed me of it. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, if, if I I would, I would read mortality and I'd probably find consolation in it, knowing that I have the handbook of a man that I only aspire to handle such a situation as well as he did. Um, well, mortality is a, I don't know, man, I, I, I think about it a lot you know, yeah. especially especially on a psychological level, which you know, I think I think something has to be said and I'm and I'm aware of this myself. Um, but there comes a point when you study mortality that you try and intellectualise it to hide the fact that it's there and that it's true. You know, like uh terror management theory. That's a really, really interesting I don't know how familiar you are with, with the literature. Um not much. So terror management theory is so shorthand T M T so it's it basically is everything that we do is in a defence mechanism against mortality, against death. Um, I'm interviewing Sheldon Solomon um in a month. And he's one of the authors of The Worm The Worm at the Core, which is a book basically present well I mean Ernest Becker was original with this, but they present it in, in, in the modern sense. Uh, there's a few authors, but Solomon is one of them. Um And it's yeah, like I said, the theory that death is at the the well, like the title suggests, the worm at the core. Death is at the core of everything that we do, and I genuinely believe that. Um, and it's, it's it mortality never never really escapes me. I mean, I you know even even in the middle of the night, I just get like these these weird visions, I don't know, the last two seconds, and it's kind of this panic that this thing that can't be intellectualised, this thing that can't be philosophised, this thing that can't be analysed or understood is going to happen, regardless of what we do. Um, It's inescapable. And I think, you know, and I think you probably agree with me in this regard, that is, both of us are interested in understanding things i guess and 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 trying to want trying to see how they work and trying to also have consolation and understanding them in some regard and what i think the interesting thing about death and mortality is is that it's a dead end quite literally like you can read about it you can intellectualize it you can say you know you can look at theories you can read books about it but at at the end of the day it just is and i think that's that's the thing that is most terrifying about it because it doesn't matter how much you intellectualize it doesn't matter how how much you read it's still there it's the worm at the core yeah. i don't know what you think about this but it's for me at least it's it's a major it's a major thing
0: yeah i uh i think the things that are most potent about death is not the is not the like the trying kind of philosophize about it or it's things that are like um like reading that or um or poetry um and because i'm such a fan of Hitch, of course i ran into philip larkin mm-hmm. um who's up here and he has one of his poems um
1: is specifically about death and um i think i might know the one you mean i think that's i, I read larkin um yeah not too long ago actually there was yeah, it's called, there. it's called
0: it's called Al abad or Abade. I actually not one hundred percent sure. I think it's abad, mm-hmm. um, even though the e's on the end of it, and it should be a long a. But um, yeah, it's uh, specifically about death, uh, and he writes it's uh, let's see one, two, three, four, like six stanzas um, about about death, and um, it's uh, it is. Um, I think it better encapsulates it than anything. Like one of the, one of the lines here is, uh, or just one of the stanzas, this is probably my, my favorite one, but it's, uh, this is a special way of being afraid. No trick dispels religion used to try. The vast moth-eaten musical brocade. Created to pretend we never die. And spe- specious stuff or speckish stuff that says no rational being can fear a thing it will not feel not seeing. That is what we fear. No sight, no sound, no touch or taste or smell. Nothing to think with, nothing to love or link with. The anesthetic from which none come round. It's I, I haven't heard of that one, actually. Wow. And that's one stanza from that and
1: uh, the entirety of it is horrifying. <laughs> um, yes. I, uh, I'll have to check it out when I'm... Uh on another day (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) so to to close off yes i I want to ask you what are the things that you appreciate most about life in general like what what are the things that you cherish the most maybe that have surprised you maybe that don't surprise you i don't know like what, what what are you what are the main things that you get up for in the morning basically I mean, I don't know if I've ever
0: been asked that in that exact phrasing. You get James is, is, is a couple Johnny Walker Blacks deep, and he's, what do I most appreciate about mm. life? That's an interesting phrasing about it. Um, I mean, I think that's a lot of the reason that I like Hitch is not just because of his wit or this or that, but because I admire and I prioritize a lot of the things that he did and that's why I like him so much. Um, I'm not saying we're the same person, but if you're talking about what I appreciate in life most, man, friendship is so high on that list. It's so high on that list. And that was such something that was so dear to Hitch. And that's another one of the many reasons I admire him so much. Um, You know, so friendship is a huge one. Um, Just the ability to talk to people and have conversations like this, you know, with you, James, and with others that's a huge motivation for me is doing that sort of thing. So just relationships in general, um, you know, relationship with my, with my, with my girlfriend, my partner, we've been together now for seven and a half years or something. And um, you know, those are the things that kind of get me up that and the, you know, just trying to do things well, get better at things. Um, I appreciate that life gives me something that isn't easy, but allows me to get better at it. I love progression. I love starting something and trying to get better at it. It's very fulfilling to me. Yeah, um, I don't know, man, but friendships a big one. Just, uh, just, I guess how the never ending interesting interest that is in all things. Like I said before, like I could just spend, man, I could spend a lifetime after a lifetime doing different, different things, and you know, different career paths or this or that. Um, I don't know friendships and relationships and isn't that I mean that's a big one for everybody but I think at the end of the day like I said earlier when it comes to like who I'd rather spend time with I'd rather spend time with a Christian that I'm friends with than someone who agrees with me and everything like that's that's what that's that's what that's humanness that's like being a being a human being um all right James your turn you answer now and then I'll (laughs) let I'll let let you go to bed well James appreciate most about life
1: excuse me if I plagiarize um but (laughs) it's okay yeah, I mean, I, w- I would say, you know, my favourite part about YouTube and, and what I've been doing in the past, like quite literally my favourite thing about the past three years, four years, whatever, I think three years of doing YouTube, because that's what really opened everything up, and my favourite part has just been meeting different people. Um, And I might have disagreed with them. I might have agreed with them. You know, we may be discussing Hitch, but the, the correlation would be is that there are people who are ready to have conversations that I actually about subjects that I actually care about. Because I think you'd agree, growing up as a stereotypical teenager, it's very easy to think that nobody else. Uh, you know is, is considering these 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 questions existential questions yeah. or um or insecurities I, I guess um and then the constellation is found when you grow up and realize that actually people are they just like you believe that no one else was as well um and so i think my favorite thing is definitely the ability to have such deep connections and uh I mean, I I think the internet, you know, for what people blame it for, I I agree, but I think we overlook the fact that, I mean, I speak for myself, but people like me who are hermits, who only go outside maybe for a leisurely walk at times, or or maybe a book a book hunt. For people such as me, hermits who don't go out too often. The internet is a gift that can never be uh, there's there's no other value over that because it's it's opened the door for for such opportunities such as this one um and without it I'd be at a loss um so i i, I, would, say I would agree with you I'd plagiarize you and say look yeah it's it's definitely the the opportunity to have sort of deep connections um to have conversations um that are open and that are honest uh, and that aren't restricted to them being in person because you know we i mean we would never have met we would never have met if it wasn't for the internet and uh, i can't imagine you know how that would be without you know talking about the hitch um, recounting his finest moments you know with with somebody who who, who well with nobody really I mean it, it's unparalleled obviously to to not to not have that ability at all so yeah I, I would agree with you I would say just relationships um, the the meaning that other people give us in a meaningless or seemingly meaning meaningless world yeah
0: yeah yeah uh, i, I- completely agree. It's a uh, I think what you said finding someone who is like you. Um, and when someone does that, you get solidarity and you get this feeling that man, maybe I am not like you said the angsty teenager, like maybe I am not alone. And I think that in its own way is an antidote to the problem we just talked about, which is death, because death ultimately has to be experienced alone. It's yeah. just you you have to experience death by yourself, and that's what I think. That's part of what we all feel like this sense of like our own just aloneness. And when you find someone who is interested in what you're interested in, you get that sort of solidarity that I think just extends you away from that black curtain of just death and of just being alone. And I I think you're right, it's just incredibly meaningful, and very fulfilling.
1: Yeah, no, no, totally. It's it's it it, it, it counts for something to say the very least. It counts for something. It doesn't fix the issue. Doesn't solve anything, I guess. At the end of the day, anyway. But, but for what it's worth, it does what it can, and that's that's enough. Because it has it's to enough be. for me. It's it enough. has to be enough because that is enough. Yeah. Um, well, Riley, you know, as as much as as I said, it's a sin to break off good conversation. I, I an end has to come somewhere
0: it has to come has yep. to come james and it is rolling up on let's see if i can do the math this time 9 10 11 12 19 now your time is that right 1 a.m. 1 a.m. it's oh it's 5 it's 5 hours i'm always thinking the pond is 4 from east coast to that it's not it's 5 i'm losing it all right well, 1 a.m. that's even, perfect man yes that's even <laughs> that's even worse than I than i previously suspected so all right hey, well thanks for again I'm always so thankful for you taking time to pop on here and uh, and chat and uh, especially last minute. I had no intentions of waking up today knowing I was gonna be back in the yeah. podcast game after a couple months out,
1: but um yeah I had no intentions this. of uh, of getting out of bed and getting drift again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, James had to take off the snuggy, right the hitch yeah. snuggy that hitch, we all have the, the, yeah the hitch onesie or something like that Yeah. yeah with like johnny walker sort of a bear outfit or something with him like hugging a johnny walker or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yes.
0: brilliant all right well thanks so much for your time james and uh uh much much appreciated and uh, extremely grateful for you and your friendship um over the last few months so thanks so much